Lord, open our minds and our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scripture is read and your word proclaimed, we may understand and apply the message you have for us today. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will have no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obliged to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name's Nate Hale. For those of you who don't know, I'm a member here at Geneva, and it's my honor and blessing to be able to preach God's word to you today again. It seems so appropriate, doesn't it, to preach about freedom today, given that we're almost to the 4th of July, where we celebrate freedom in one sense, and we've just passed through Juneteenth, another celebration of freedom. We have these celebrations partly because we need regular reminders how treasured and hard-won our freedom is as a people. And I want to draw your attention now to an even greater freedom of ours, a freedom that Christ won for us through his work on the cross. We need to stand firm and live in the freedom that Christ won for us and offers to us freely. In this passage from Galatians that 
we just heard. We see that the freedom we have in the gospel points us in two directions. It's a freedom from anxiety and fear that come with trying to earn God's love. And it gives us the freedom we need for loving others. So the gospel frees us from something, and it frees us for something. So first, the gospel gives us a freedom from anxious and fearful rule-keeping. We need to reject the idea that it's rule-keeping that has anything to do with securing our salvation. We read verse 1, that it's, in a sense, a summary of the whole book of Galatians there, and especially the last two chapters, which we'll see. It's emphatic in how it begins. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Freedom is both the means and the end of the Christian life. And in verse 2 and 3, Paul is saying, we see, that you can't try to keep the Jewish Old Testament rules like circumcision and expect that it will in any way make you right with God. Paul says that the Gentile who allows himself to be circumcised is obligated to obey the whole law. My teacher, D.A. Carson, gives a good explanation for this. He says, this obligation to obey the law is due to the symbolic significance of circumcision. It was the mark of submission to God's law covenant in the Old Testament. But to take the step of circumcision betrays a massive failure to understand the true relationship between the law covenant and the new covenant that the Lord Jesus introduced. The old law covenant prepares for the new covenant, announces the new covenant, and anticipates the new covenant. But to commit oneself to obeying the terms of the law covenant is to announce that the new covenant Jesus secured by his death is somehow inadequate. So if I could put it this way, Paul's telling us that trying to keep the Old Testament rules as a way to earn God's favor, they don't do us any good. The only way to be right with God is through faith in Christ, who gives us his own righteousness when we trust in his work alone. As we read in verse 5, it's through God the Spirit, by faith, that we have the hope-filled confidence and expectation of eternal life with God. In fact, Paul uses some really strong language to show how rule-keeping like this has absolutely nothing to do with receiving or keeping God's love. A person who's trying to earn good standing with God by following a system of obedience to rules just reveals that they don't really know God's grace in Christ to begin with. Paul writes that they are severed from Christ. And he has blistering words, doesn't he, for the false teachers who are pushing this on believers, wishing that they would make eunuchs of or emasculate themselves, as we read. This isn't Paul being vengeful. He's saying this because of his deep love for the people of God and the gospel of God. John Stott writes, 
I venture to say, if we were as concerned for God's church and God's word as Paul was, we too would wish that false teachers might cease from the land. Salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. But before Paul was saved, he was zealous for keeping the Old Testament rules. That's why he argues in verse 11, as we see. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? He's saying that the persecution he experiences from Jews proves that the gospel he preaches is contradictory to the idea that salvation comes through Old Testament rule-keeping. He preaches that faith in Christ through his death on the cross is what saves a person. The gospel and rule-keeping as an attempt to earn God's love and favor don't go together at all. Nothing can add to or supplement the gospel. This kind of rule-keeping conflicts and we could say subtracts from the gospel because it implies that the gospel is not enough. You may be wondering what Paul means when he says that people who do this have fallen away from grace. Because up until that point, it looked like they had been saved. Maybe they had made a profession of faith. But the reality is that their heart behind their actions, revealed that they really hadn't received God's saving grace to begin with at all. That's, I believe, what Paul is trying to say there. They've fallen away from grace. It's like what John writes in 1 John chapter 2, 19. John says there that people like this, they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Jesus, in Matthew 25, talks about how in the end of times, at the judgment, many will say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not do many things in your name? And he says that he'll answer, I never knew you. Trying to do things to become righteous in God's eyes, which is essentially what justified by the law means here in verse 4, that just doesn't work. And it doesn't lead to the freedom God wants us to have. God offers us his righteousness as a gift to be received. And it can't be earned. It is given to us freely in love. So that's a warning which speaks to those of us who are religious in our approach to life. And maybe you aren't like that at all. Maybe some of you think uh, that people who live like that are actually a real problem. They're not a problem not just for themselves, but for everyone. You may think that we need to be free from following rules. Well, the passage we read has a warning for you then as well. There are two ways to fall off the horse, to the right and to the left. And so that brings us to our second point. Because of Christ, we have freedom from anxiety and fear that comes with legalism and works righteousness. But we need to also reject the opposite idea that freedom we have in the gospel gives us total personal autonomy. 
Actually, the freedom offered to us in the gospel frees us to live morally in a way that was not possible before because of our sin nature. It frees us to love God and to love others, and the moral rules God gave us to follow are a reflection of that love. I think Tim Keller gives a very helpful explanation. He writes this. Christians are freed from using the law as a way to win merit from God. But we're not freed from the law as a way to please God. The gospel does not free you to live any way you want. But if you truly understand through the gospel who Jesus is and what he's done for you, then you'll ask, how can I live for him? And the answer will be, look at the will of God expressed in the law. The gospel frees us from the law, for the law. It does away with our old, selfishly motivated and unloving law obedience. And it motivates us to obey the law out of love. So I want to say, because of God's love working in us through faith, as verse 6 indicates, we can have the motivation we need to follow God's rules. We obey God not out of fear of punishment or as a way to make him give us things that we want, but we obey because we love him and trust him. Now, I think it's fair to say that to many in our culture today, this kind of obedience to the law of God doesn't sound like freedom. Many have now confused what freedom is with what autonomy is. Autonomy says, I should make any choice I want, whereas true freedom is to make the right choices. Autonomy is the absence of constraints to be able to follow your desires wherever they lead. But true freedom is often the freedom from desires or the freedom to choose the right desires. True freedom is freedom within God-given constraints because that's how we flourish. It's not a perfect analogy, but you can picture what it's like for a pet fish in a fishbowl. Will taking it out of that bowl and setting it down on the ground give it more freedom? No. It needs the water for it to breathe and swim. So keeping the fish within the restraints of that bowl of water allows it to flourish. And in a similar way, we are living in freedom when we live out the moral laws of God from a loving desire to please him. So in verse 6, we read that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. It is faith working through love that counts. True faith is a living and active thing and produces love and so we read at the end of verse 13. Through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul writes elsewhere in Romans that love for your neighbor and doing no wrong to them fulfills the law of God. 
So the freedom we're talking about here isn't only freedom from something. It isn't only freedom from the anxiety and inevitable failure that comes from trying to keep God's law as a way of earning God's favor and love. It's also freedom for something. Verse 13 tells us that the person who is free is the one who is serving others through love. In Judaism of the time that the Bible was written, taking on the yoke commonly meant studying and practicing the Old Testament laws and rules of Moses. Now, although there's the yoke of slavery that Paul tells us to stay free from in verse 1, there's also the easy yoke of service to God and others that we take up when we receive the freedom Christ offers us in the gospel. And so, in Matthew 11, we hear Jesus say, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Coming back to Juneteenth, there's a documentary that I saw recently that came out last year called Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom. I learned a lot from watching it, and I would recommend you take a look at it if you haven't seen it already yourself. In it, the pastor from a church in Houston that was built and founded by formerly enslaved people said something that I want to end with now as a challenge for us all to wrestle with. After showing parts of his collection of shackles and monetary objects that he had collected, which were, had been used to hold captive and to trade black people in America. He said calmly, I think you can be distant from movement when you've not fully embraced the command of God to love your neighbor as yourself. When you love your neighbor as yourself, that's not just a child there that, that hurts. That's my child. That's your child. That's not just a community over there that's ostracized. That's your community. You feel the pain through proximity. That's our call, to be more like Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been given enormous freedom By God's grace, you have been set free. So don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your sinful nature. But through love, serve one another. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all the freedoms you have given to us. Most importantly, the freedom we have in Christ knowing that the commandments you give us are for our own good. Help us to remember and delight in your magnificent gift to us, that you are not only our creator, but that you have also redeemed us, freeing us from slavery and captivity to sin, so that in our freedom we will love you more dearly and delight to follow and obey you more fully, not using our freedom as an opportunity to indulge our sinful nature, but through love to serve one another. 
All of the law and the prophets is summed up in this, to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So help us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.